Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of After the Storm. This is Hamna. And this is Roha. And we are bringing you another very special guest today. We're so excited to chat with our guest. Um, Roha's going to do a brief little introduction. Roha, what can you tell us about her? I'm going to tell you that this guest is extra special. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I say that um, of every guest, but um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, like, how I met this guest, and then I'll do, like, a introduction give us a rundown yeah okay so i met this guest i guess no no i knew of this guest before i met her um i went to this poetry reading um in mississauga and um uh, Bandukpala, a really really great poet as well um read an excerpt from sanawani's poem and her poem border it's called the border poem and I like that poem so much that I was like oh my god I've already met one person that like has written this I really really hope I meet the other person I don't know I just like I had that thought and a couple months later Sanai and I ended up at the same event and then I like couldn't connect the dots in the beginning (laughs) then she just kept talking and I'm like, wait, she sounds so familiar. <laughs> so I like went up to her. I'm like, hey, are you Sanawani? Like, that's Sanawani. <laughs> She's like, yes. So I probably weirded um, her out a lot. But um, I've already given her name and given like no formal introduction. Sana is a poet from Toronto who's published in The Puritan, Peach Mag, and Time. And my favorite fact about her is that she really likes daisies. Oh, that's Sanawani. Hi, Sanawani. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, guys. I love love that in Roja's introduction, the one thing I got out was that I didn't shut up. It was me being like, oh, hi, hi, hi. And Roja, like, trying to. I love that. No, it's just, (laughs) I literally went up to Sanawani like a fangirl. Okay, like, you don't understand. I was like, hi, like, your poem was really cool, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get, like, the words out properly. I'm like, wow, she's really cool. I get to know her. That's so cute. Did her voice actually change in real life, too? Notice how when she talks about it, her voice is completely different. (laughs) I'm I'm very high-pitched when I don't know people. Um, so Sana, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now? Are you currently in school? I mean, we're all in the middle of a pandemic, but what would regular life look for you right now? It would honestly look um, a bit like what it is now. So I finished school, I finished undergrad in December. And Ooh, congratulations. Thank Very you. exciting. Um, I escaped youth tears. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, Alhamdulillah, in uh, July of last year, I got the news that I received a grant to write basically like my first book in the time that I had off between undergrad and grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible. Yeah, so I was really happy. And um, I've just, I was, um, I was supposed to be traveling. I did travel from February 1st to March 12th about, and that's when I called it off. But um, I was basically supposed to continue traveling into May and June um, and just researching for the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, writing poetry 
which is what I do. That's incredible. What did you do your undergrad studies in? I did my undergrad in religion. So I was a religion specialist. Um, amazing. Yeah, I studied the anthro of Islam. And now I'm going into anthro for grad school. That's incredible. I would love to just do a whole another session talking about that. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, do you feel that? So um, obviously I've been reading up on some of your work to kind of prep for this. And do you feel that that aspect of learning from your education um, and also personal life around religion and Islam plays into your work as a poet? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think I went into undergrad uh, as an English major being like, oh, I want, I love books, I love reading, I love writing. And then it ended up being so, so devastatingly white um, that I could not stay in the English department. Um, uh, not to say that there isn't pockets of the English department that aren't doing really incredible work, because there definitely is. It was just, um, the, the, I think the underlying praxis or like the theories that were guiding the discipline weren't quite matching up with what I wanted to learn or how I wanted to be learning. Mm -hmm. um, so that prompted me to try to move over to other disciplines. So I tried like history or like poli-sci, international relations. And I was like, I don't know what's going on with all of you. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, poetry was always there, so it was always a matter of wanting to pull my education into poetry, or to pull poetry like into my education mm -hmm. and keep find something that would that would enrich the other. I love that. Like that sounds like a very conscious effort of wanting to align those two. Um, interest right that's incredible you said that for you poetry has always been there what does that mean like how early on did you start writing um I think I started writing it was okay I, I was talking to my mom about this the other day but it was like a weird moment in like sixth grade I think where I think it was like remembrance day preparations and we were doing, you know, the typical, like, recitation of Flanders Field nationalist propaganda. And then we were told <laughs> to, <laughs> we were told to uh, write our own poem in response to the, to just the color white. Hmm. Which, like, looking back now, there are so many layers. But, <laughs> but at the time, um, I had a substitute teacher who I really liked. And she was one of the only teachers of color at my school. And I think I just wrote some like poem about white and I don't even remember the poem, but I remember her coming up to me after and being like, oh, we have a poet on our hands or like, oh, your poem was so good. And just like that, making my brain go like, Whoop, and being like, oh, I can actually do this. Like, this is something that I can do. Um, and then wanting to write poems ever since. That is so heartwarming yeah. like, to have that as a first memory of writing. Yeah. Um, that's, oh, that's so cute. Would you say there has been a shift in your writing wherein you 
have reclaimed your narrative? Mm-hmm. Or was it ever like that? Um, so when I think about your question, I think about this artist, Korea Java, who I once watched one of her interviews on YouTube, and it really stuck with me because she said something along the lines of like, we grow up with all of our stories primarily being white people, right? And white people's stories. And I think she was talking about the moment that she noticed that even when she wrote her own stories, like those people didn't look like her. Like even in her own writing and her own imagination, she didn't have a place. Um, And I remember just that really stuck with me because I really think back to like my earliest writing. Because I think before I was writing poetry, I was like dabbling in trying to write a story or whatever. And and I, I share Furia's experience that um, none of my protagonists looked like me. Um, they were always like pale porcelain skin, like Bella of Twilight, or like, <laughs> like freaking like light eyes. You know, it, it just the typical um, questions or standards of beauty influencing what I was creating. Um, so yeah, I think that there has been a really long process of sort of um, reclaiming or or just finding what or where my narrative looks. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that it's a long process of finding too, because it's it does take a while, right? There's also this sense of like conflicting messages coming to you from the people around you that look like you, or maybe they're not necessarily around you, but they're on the internet, so they're kind of around you. Um, But so many conflicting messages of what that should look like as well, right? Particularly people that share intersections of the same identity as you. It's like, this is what we want to be like, or this is what we aspire to, or this is a certain way we talk about this. And we all kind of even within that space, I think it's it's hard to find where you fit in or find your voice and things that truly matter to you because, you know, a lot of people, I think, fall into the cycle of, you know, you talk about what everybody is talking about. And then it's, you know, once again, you lose that sense of self. So it's um, one of those things that is, I love seeing that difference in different writers. And I think when I read your work, it's something that really jumps out. I've noticed there's lots of Sufi imagery in a lot of your work and it's most noticeable um, or noticeable in one of them, which is Schizotheism, uh, which was published in Nuance uh, last January. Uh, Would you like to talk about it a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, This poem in particular really ties in with like the earlier question of how my academic education has tied into poetry, because I think this is one of the most, maybe the most prime like spot of that from my undergraduate career, I think. Um, so I had a professor, um, Lori Silvers, uh, whose class I took. And then I don't remember exactly what she said at the end of one of the classes, but I remember leaving the class and already typing out this poem. Um, her classes in general just, I think, gave me a lot of agency to reinvestigate Islam as I 
wanted to and as I in my body and in the ways that my mind works as opposed to like fitting someone else's orthodoxy or someone else's canon or someone else's idea of how the how the religion should work um which is always a weird like it's 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 a difficult thing to take back i think and not something that happens all of a sudden but it was that one class after it i was like i can write this poem like i can write a poem that turns around as as like i always have trouble I'm very glad that my parents weren't offended by this poem because I was always really nervous to share it with them because it skirts the line of like heresy or like blasphemy because it puts God and the worshiper into a kind of like circular relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, go off on all the tangents. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it, it's it. It's a poem that means a lot to me, and I was really glad that it found a space with nuance, especially because I got uh, the artwork is by Nimra Bandukwala. I really love the Bandukwalas. <laughs> they are they are truly so wonderful. Um, and having a chance, like having this beautiful art that she created with it, was just the biggest blessing. Um, yeah. Um, there's also the another poem that was published in Glass, a journal of poetry, Moon Gods Are Not Born. It's also one of my favorites. Oh, talk about <laughs> that one and how you came to write that. That one was also, um, also undergraduate education, but this time it was a class on, um, it was called Gods and Goddesses in South Asia. Okay. Um, and I was so excited about it. And then it turned out, I made the best of my experience, but it was like this white woman who had a guru doing her her master's in religion, her second Uh. master's, and she was trying to be like, oh, these are like Savitri and like Kali, I have a tattoo. I was like, please, ma'am, like covering my eyes. But it was a wonderful learning experience. I got to like delve into a lot of like texts and um, questions. I think about how Hinduism and Jainism work, and like actually like 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 look into have the time to look into and, and educate myself on that. Um, anyway, long story short, um, I. Uh, I looked up the myth of Savitri and I got really, I got really obsessed with the myth of Savitri and I ended up writing my final paper about her and all of this stuff because um, I think that Savitri is like the wife, oh my god, I've kind of forgotten, it's been a couple of years, but uh, Savitri is the wife of someone who, takes ill and then um she basically like the main memory that that this poem stems from is that she does a standing fast so she does a fast where she doesn't eat or drink or sleep or sit and as someone who was raised in like an islamic tradition like fasting is something that we know of but this idea of a fasting from rest um, was really just 
really compelling to me. Um, and then, yeah, just this image of her standing for three days uh, was where this poem came from. Also, like, I was in a Panera and I had all of, <laughs> I had all of, I had all of this ridiculous work to do. Um, and I really just wanted to go stand by the lake. And I like those two things sort of came together where I was like, I would like to just stand by the lake for three days. Thank you. The wording in this one is so beautiful as well. I think this was the first piece that I read by you and I was like doing my Googling. Um, and just the one thing that just, I'm, I'm not good with the remembering things, right? Like my memory is pretty awful in general. Um, but I think the one thing that kind of stuck with me was I never want the sun to come home and the imagery of the lake is so powerful and so beautiful and the repetition of that as well um is I don't, I don't it was one of those things that I think obviously you know when you read a work it sparks something within you that's very tied to your own experience but that um that imagery of being at the shore and kind of losing yourself there yeah so she's the daughter of Savitri and Savitar is the god of of the sun, but it's yeah. a, he's like a special god of the sun. He's like, because uh, I think there are several. He's the god of the sun before sunrise is called Savitar. Mm -hmm. So he's the god of the sun before sunrise. Ooh, I like that even more now. <laughs> I'm just like, now I need to sit and think about it again. <laughs> if we were like, to put sim simply, like, um, I think that the, that the whole thing about the sun was kind of about uh, her dad. And I think the dad uh, is in the poem already, doesn't yeah, yeah. I think? There's something about, I don't want to tell my father. But, like, she's the one that doesn't want the son to come home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fatherhood always takes a nice little entrance. <laughs> um, to be serious though, I feel like I'm always, like I love nature and like playing with images of, of nature and, and equally of like religion or religiosity. But I really think that the heart of, of any piece of work that I ever write goes back to like family. Um, like at the end, like I've been thinking a lot, especially about that, because the project that I'm writing right now is almost entirely anchored in family, and then it, I'm just seeing like how deep that influence goes, and how much like dynamics within families are the thing that interests me most, like the dynamics between. Um, between or that come out of those relationships. I'm excited to read what you put out there yeah, because um, equally fascinated by that. I think it's one of those ongoing things in your life, right? That you keep going back to. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing more work from you on that. What can we expect next, Sana? What's, what's next for Sana? Ooh. Um, Honestly, right now, um, I'm trying to make my way through this project and what it's beginning to look like is literally like 
they're these like locked prose poems um, and they're just titled like the name of the person, a place that we met and the month that we met. Um, so it's a lot of like, I literally am just like cataloging moments of my life. Um, I think I'm trying to be, trying to like look a little bit more directly at the work. Um, whereas I think the border poem accepted, oftentimes I've like, I've used surrealism as many people have to sort of work out very earthly questions. Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to like do the opposite. It's like start with the earthly or the human and then work your way towards the I think that comes back to your diversity of content. One topic that I wanted to touch upon is what kind of writing gets accepted? And it's, if you're a writer of color, it's often trauma-based writings. And if you want to venture out um, and it doesn't fit the tokenistic perspective, it gets a stamp of rejection. So is that something that you experience, Senna? Absolutely, absolutely. The disproportionate, um, like, uh, the disproportionate acceptance that I have received for any of my writing about Kashmir has been detrimental to my creative practice. So, like, Roha, it means so much to me that you see my work as, like, really diverse and going into many things. That means so much to me because I always want to do that. But, like, yeah, for a really long time this year like for a couple of months it made me very sad because I felt like I wasn't doing that like I felt the pressure of always being asked to write about Kashmir repeatedly 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 um I was sort of starting to buy into it um anyway basically like whenever you have Uh, a feature of yourself or your life that the white gaze perceives as your defining feature, they're going to ask you to perform it again and again and again, no matter how much it hurts you. And no matter how much it makes you feel like you're being reduced or you're being dehumanized to just that one feature of yourself. Um, And for me, that feature has always been the fact that I'm Kashmiri. And the fact that Kashmiri that didn't even, it's such, it's such a short, it's so scary because it's been such a short time mm-hmm. um, that Kashmir has even like really touched any sort of mainstream recognition, which was mm-hmm. just because of August and because yeah. of August 5th. Um, but yeah, it was, it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly disheartening. Even before August 5th though, if, if it wasn't Kashmiri then, it was that I was brown or that I was like South Asian um and any writing that I I made a very silly tweet where I was like the diaspora a brown mountain all my longing emerges from like white editors will be like give me that (laughs) we would love to publish exactly that in those words (laughs) And it's trash, like it's so bad. It's, I just think it's not good writing and it repeatedly gets, um, 
gets uplifted mm -hmm. um, because I feel like it's just like recognition politics. Like they're like, we don't need brown writers to be good. Being really skilled is for the white writers who are gonna go do the like revolutionary work over there. Yeah. Um, we need black and brown and indigenous writers to just, uh, you know, perform, to just be there because that's what they're asking for, right? They're asking to be there, but like it totally misses the point. It totally misses like that, that whole ideology totally misses the idea that actually it's never been the white writers have been, who have been doing the revolutionary work. It's always been the black and the brown and the indigenous writers. Um, yeah, it just makes me sad. It's a very like sad reality. Um, yeah. I'm sorry for like having you resurface that again. Um, I think going off, just like diving into that a little further, when brown writers get published or writers of colors get published, um, it's either like the, I guess, diaspora longing that these literary institutions want to see and nothing beyond that, nothing that's mm -hmm. critical. Um, or something that completely fits their mold and i guess how do i put this like in nice terms i don't know sometimes i lose my words because i'm like i can't say that on air uh <laughs> but it's just like writing that gets popular especially in poetry is either one that's like makes you severely experience your trauma sometimes and feeds into that or either just feeds into like diaspora longing or the third is that's easy to be digested by like white feminists and i that's what i found yeah like an assimilative sort yeah of. Mm -hmm. yeah nothing that you know would be an honest reflection of yourself at times. That's what I've found, even in like the poets that are most celebrated, if they're poets of color, um, I, I don't, their writing is often things that's like, everyone is okay to digest and that's what gets popularized. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know if I'm like, if I no, make sense. That makes perfect sense to me. I think, um, one of the very, I think the very first piece that I ever got published in like uh, a magazine that was not a student journal um, was this like white women's yoga type of website. Um, and I was writing under a pen name then. Uh, and it was exactly what you're talking about, Rohan. And I don't talk about it much because it makes me actually like really sad. I was like 18, I was really young and I, I made mistakes like in, in truthfully submitting to that magazine and giving them that kind of work. But it was very much, it was very much along the lines of, um, now looking back on it, I think that they only wanted it because of the ways that I was navigating a certain vulnerable relationship with my brown family. 
Mm-hmm. And you know how white women love to yeah. demonize that. They love to demonize brown families as inherently uh, cruel or inherently uh, restrictive. And yeah. I yeah. think coming back to that as well, I just wanted to touch upon that further mm-hmm. that oftentimes it's when writers do talk about things that are honestly something very important, like subjects that are important to them. And they're so scared of putting that out into the universe because suppose like you want to write a critical piece on religion. Let's just say you're not going to think of like how that makes you feel or how like immediately people that experience the same things as you might feel you have to think about like oh god i really hope it doesn't get picked up by the islamophobic folks because yeah. they're gonna tap into that yeah. or like you write about your brown experiences you have to worry about the racists mm-hmm. you know because then like a saviorism comes from these yeah. places a sense of saviorism they're like oh but we're not like that Absolutely. come here and it's always the sense of you have to give a, a part of your identity and join us but you, you can't have both. And why is that for like writers of color or marginalized writers in general? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, bro, this reminds me so much of so many things. I don't, I think your question of like, why is this the case for writers of color is because I always like, I think about this um, concept by Albert Kamitz. I think his name is, he's like some French. I, I think he's Albert Algerian. Camus. Albert Camus. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have like a fling of just reading his work in French class. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. why I'm are you so apologizing? No, that I evoked that memory. Oh yeah, okay. Um, that, I'll take that apology. I'm very, okay. Um, I'm just clowning, like that's my you're personality. So, you're so valid. Um, Mark of the plural. It's just the concept of his that I like. Because the mark of the plural indicates that if you are anything other than white, you will always carry the whole burden of your whole race or whatever intersectionality with you. Um, and you'll always have to represent them. So it'll always make you a little bit less than the central human. Um, and I think about this a lot in terms of also how like the model minority myth emerges. And like, um, yeah, in the case of writers and why we feel, why we have like this doubled um, anxiety of like, not only do we not want to fetishize ourselves or tokenize ourselves, but then we're like, oh, but can't tell them too much truth because then they'll take advantage of it because we live in a context where the media is primarily controlled by white, heteronormative, patriarchal type of people. so then it's this doubled thing. Um, and it makes me think of, uh, I have a friend who recently released a book and just before she released the book, she's, um, she's a, an, uh, a Muslim writer and not white. And um, she had so much of this anxiety and we just talked it through one day over coffee, but she was so nervous that her work was going to be taken up by the wrong people Mm -hmm. um and that she knew that like the communities it was for would understand it but she was so worried that 
there was this whole lingering part of Canadian literature or literature in general who would use this book as a chance to write things about Islam or write things about women in Islam or write things, you know? And yeah, it really sucks. It really, really sucks that we not only have to worry about like trying to write good work, whatever good work means, then we also have to worry about um, the question of whether or not we're gonna to be tokenized. And then on top of that, we have to worry about, okay, if we are tokenized, is it gonna be potentially used to the detriment of our own communities? Mm -hmm. so, so many layers. This is something that's echoed by so many artists too repeatedly, right? Like that we don't get to just be what we are and write what, about what we want without that ridiculous aspect of everybody reading into it a little too much, right? Anything that you write is inherently like just politicized and also taken up for way more scrutiny than sometimes it should be just due to our own identities right and like you, you can no longer just be yourself or write about a normal experience for you because to the world outside it may be so different that, that normalcy is taken away from it and then you're stuck with those questions of like how do other people perceive it and the, no the yeah. lack of privilege that i think writers of color experience here really really shows in that sense. Did you guys uh, watch Mindy Kaling's new show? Yeah. Never Have I Ever? Yeah. I saw, um, and feel, please feel free to disagree with me, but like I saw a lot of really extreme critiques of that show. And I don't love Mindy Kaling by a long shot. I think that she like, and I don't have to, but anyway, um, uh, I saw some critiques written about that show that were like, this is such an Islamophobic, casteist, colorist, racist show. And I was like, bro, it's a Netflix show for like teens. <laughs> like, like, I just feel like there's no balance. Like that show was so, is, is so hyper surveilled in a sense, even by the like woke brown Twitter diaspora folks. And yeah, I, I reached a sort like your question really reminded me of that because I had this question emerge of like, um, and this this person I really love on Twitter and a writer, Kai Cheng Tong, she was like the most revolutionary, like the revolution is not gonna start with your critique of a Netflix show. Like <laughs> like have some some balance to allow these creations to just be what they are in a sense and and oftentimes we don't want them to just be what they are we want them to be everything and it's just not possible like you can't you're never gonna no one is ever gonna create like a perfect piece of art that represents us all because we don't have one face or like one perfect um how do i put this one one front to represent like yeah. brown people are so fragmented and diverse and weird and changing <laughs> so uh, do you have any timelines for when we can expect uh, more work from you not to like put you on the spot or put any pressure on just curious mm -hmm. 
Um, as of right now, uh, not really. Uh, everything is a bit up in the air. Um, uh, truthfully, have just been sort of focused on the writing as opposed to the publishing. Mm-hmm. The publishing takes so long. Mm-hmm. Like this process is such a. It's. I feel like it's not talked about as much. Like you write something. Let's say if I wrote something today, and then I edited it for the next week. And then let's say I even submitted it to a magazine a week after that. I don't think it would be published until like October or like yeah, yeah. <laughs> November. So I don't think anything for the near future. Uh, just chilling. That's yeah. good. You know what? Focus on the art, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. One thing that I just want to go back to is your uh, concrete poetry. Oh, yeah. You should do an exhibition. Oh my the conversation was a co- on a completely different stream, which is why yeah. I just like, let me park this thought for later. Yeah. But that would be so amazing to see. I would really love to, yeah. Right? Like, we, yeah. whatever the prize was, screw them. Uh, <laughs> you can do your own exhibition. It's a thick prize, Humna. I think you'd be like motivated to. <laughs> okay, but like, Sorry. maybe <laughs> so I can start auctioning off her pieces and wow. get that. Get that thicken up the wallet that way you know thank you thank you the fact that you just said thick prize took me out of my body <laughs> but okay no it's so good um that's oh, oh a God. wonderful that's a really wonderful suggestion from them. i would love to do that someday i don't think i have enough pieces yet but i will that's fair packing, we'll be cheering thank you thank you we'll be here yeah and like have you ever been to an exhibition that does like poetry? So I was thinking about that. I, that's something I think I would love to go to because I think mm-hmm. I think I've seen like one poem. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a whole exhibition that has poetry. You're gonna pioneer that, girl. Okay, wow. and it's literally the <laughs> exhibition is gonna be titled Concrete. Oh shoot! Right. That's it. That's the idea. And yeah, it's because it's concrete poetry, but yeah. we have a concrete conceptualization of what that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. The walls can just be bare concrete. Yeah, that's it. And then, like, when you turn the lights on, yeah. glow in the dark version of the poems are going to materialize. When Amazing. you turn the lights off. I'm going to hire you both as artistic directors. Sounds like a plan. We're done. <laughs> We may or may not dig you into the ground, but, you know. <laughs> but in all seriousness, thank you so much for sh- sharing your thoughts with us, for diving into, like, a very hard subject and allowing us to do that and being the ever-wonderful conversation partner. Oh, my gosh. Thank you both. This was so wonderful. I really appreciated our conversation, too. Um, and thank you for inviting me and for just taking the time and care with um work that you did thank you once again for tuning in this has been roha and this is humna we'll catch you next time in the meantime give us a follow on our instagram at afterthestorm.podcast let us know what you thought bye bye